Hey guys, just want to let you all know that we have a new Instagram account. Um, unfortunately, we got locked out of our old account. So now everything that we'll be posting will be on at new underscore capsule rx podcast okay so check out there um on thursdays for your test your knowledge thursdays where we'll be posting our naplex questions to help prepare you for uh the naplex and also for anything any content related to our podcast if you want to know about some new episodes or any of our infographics that we're posting you can definitely check it out now at new underscore capsule rx podcast and i also want to announce that we have some new services um so this is something that um, we just started implementing so i just wanted to inform you guys about this that if you go to tinyurl.com slash capsule rx services you can see that we are now offering cv and letter of intent reviews residency and job mock interviews as well as fellowships um, presentation evaluations journal club ideas and walkthroughs, and any NAPLEX tutoring. So these are some of the new services that we're offering. And like I said, just check it out at tinyurl.com slash services to go ahead and sign up and get started working with us today. All right. I hope you guys enjoy this episode. Hello, and welcome to another episode of Capsule Rx Podcast. Today, I'll be your host, Dr. Jovan Lazo. And today, we have a special guest, Dr. Mary No. How are you today? I'm doing well. Thank you so much for inviting me onto the podcast. Yes, we're super excited to have you. Um, today's episode is going to be a little bit about Mary's journey to where she's at right now, which is a PGY1 resident at the San Diego VA. So she has a little bit of an interesting background of not going to residency right after school. So we definitely want her to kind of share her um, reasoning for why she decided to work a little bit and then go pursue a residency and why she specifically chose the San Diego VA. So if anybody's interested in any VAs, we definitely recommend you tune in. Or if you've been a couple of years out of pharmacy school and you've been thinking about maybe a career change, maybe this could be a great episode for you too. So to start off, Mary, can we kind of have you just give a brief introduction about who you are and how you got to where you're at? Yeah, sure. I can share a little bit about myself here. So hi, everyone. My name is Mary. I am a 2019 graduate from Chapman University down in Southern California. And I was a part of their two plus three accelerated fast track program where it it consisted of two years in undergrad at their undergrad campus and then three years at their pharmacy school. Um, so I was pretty involved during pharmacy school. Uh, I know during my final year I had applied. I didn't match, but um, there was also a lot of stuff that was involved on my end personally that involved like finances, supporting a family um, that had led me into going straight into the workforce right after school. And I honestly thought that with the years in between, I was able to get more of a financial footing as well as more of a better basis as to being able to like practice and be able to take a little bit of like an initial ownership, um, like in a pharmacist like world. Mm-hmm. And so when, yeah, so when I was out of school, I got licensed and, um, a month afterwards, I was able to get a position at a psychiatric hospital, mainly working in their outpatient pharmacy. Um, I got to work 
uh, more kind of like in the like community, like community setting, which um, that would be involved in just being able to um, really provide medications to patients that are out in the community in Orange County from where I'm from. Um, I also got to do a bit of discharge counseling as well. A lot of discharges just because we were the outpatient pharmacy for the hospital. Mm-hmm. Um, and just as the saying goes, a, a lot of the population that um, that I had to take care of back then were all those who had mental health as well as other comorbidities that they had also um, come in with. And also those who are residing in um, sober living homes, um, drug addiction rehabilitations and whatnot. And so that's where I kind of had built like a bit of a a clinical interest in um, mental health at the time. And so I feel like I kind of went through like a lot of mountains and valleys to get to where I'm at today. Um, What kind of set off that um, idea or um, desire to really like pursue it was kind of thinking about, okay, like I'm here at this pharmacy, I'm not sure whether or not this is a long-term thing or not. And so I kind of had to reassess Mm -hmm. my interests in my long-term. I got to precept um, IPPE students at where I was before. And that also got me a lot more involved and interested in teaching in academia. Um, I already kind of mentioned mental health in regards to my interests and patient population I took care of back then. Um, and then also, I really loved being able to connect with patients um, from like a direct patient care standpoint where it was like ambulatory care. And that was something that I wanted to do a lot more of. And so with all of these interests in mind, I knew I wanted to go into the outpatient route, hopefully ambulatory care um, in the setting of mental health and also being involved in academia and teaching. And so a lot of this had come into play when it came to um, applying for residency and really trying to work in these interests and making it loud and clear when it came to pursuing the match. And so when you were working at the outpatient pharmacy, just to clarify, were you doing a lot of counseling? Like, or was it just more counseling on giving the medication on counseling on the disease state? It was kind of a mix. Yeah. So it's honestly a mix of um, all of what you mentioned. Um, okay. I, yeah. So, so it was kind just, of like an ambulatory care setting, but in a mental health capacity rather than talking about diabetes type of thing. Yeah. More it's, chronic disease states. Yeah. It's more chronic disease states. And I did have a good handful that had a lot of um, primary care um Areas including diabetes, including those that have like hypertension, also those with dyslipidemia. Um, one of the big things about some, like a good handful of psychiatric medications involve having a lot of metabolic, um, metabolic like dysfunctions. And also with all that, mm-hmm. it's something that I have to like consider is like, as to whether or not they're going to have to be able to take their meds or not. Um, if they are able to make like lifestyle changes on top of also keeping up with their medication. And that's something that um, I felt um, I could see myself in, in the future, being yeah. able to kind of address that because um, one of the things that I've, I stand by pretty strongly by is really how mental health is just as tied and correlated strongly to physical health. And depending on how you are, it'll affect like how you are in the long run in terms of like your physical health overall and overall 
well-being. Yeah, definitely. So definitely can attribute to like uh, morphine metabolic syndrome, increased weight gain, um, increased lipid levels like or mm-hmm. um, triglycerides for some of the people that aren't in pharmacy that doesn't know what these terms mean. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, so definitely... I, I could see that playing a role. And so you're kind of counseling whole on the patient and you realize like, Hey, I've been doing these things and I don't know if this situation will last. I don't know if this will be long-term. So I want to pivot into something where I would be um, probably more well-recognized at other job opportunities for being somebody who is serious about this. So it sounds like to me, you realized, Hey, I need to make my CV say that I want to be this type of pharmacist. So you decided, and that kind of pushed you to apply for, I'm assuming it would be mainly VAs or any place that has some type of mental health um, rotations, right? Yeah, definitely, definitely the latter. Um, I know in general, a lot of VAs have a focus in mental health. Um, They have like a, for some, for some VA locations I know that they have like kind of like a mixture of like primary care and mental health involved Mm -hmm. too where it's more of what they do is like a whole person approach where it's like they're not only treating the disease state but also taking into consideration socioeconomic and um, psychosocial factors for every patient um, every veteran that um, we serve and so at least this is just coming from the VA standpoint. Yeah. Um, I know other other programs, as far as I'm aware, they usually like to, they have like a, I, I think they have like a wider scope when it comes to types of patients that they see. Cause it's mm-hmm. not just, it's not just those veterans. who are like veterans. It's yeah. also people who are pretty young, like around my age and also those who are adolescents too. Yeah. 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 And that's, that can be one of the cons, um, to working with the VA or a pro, depending on what, what you're interested in, you know, cause when you're thinking about people that worked in the armed services, they're more adults. They're not any kids. So some people might want to work with, um, pediatrics or adolescents, like you said. Um, so that might be something to kind of differentiate what you should apply for or programs you should be interested in for residency, because there are some that have that pediatric or adolescent, um, mental health component and some that only focus on adults like the VA. I would definitely agree. Yeah, it's definitely a um, unique population. I really like to hear and read in on like the stories as to how things, how things have like been for the patients that I see now and just being able to provide them any help in any way, whether it may be something from like a pharmacotherapy standpoint versus having to consider or maybe like educate on self-cognitive behavioral therapies um, Mm -hmm. to make the change um, that they can make when they realize they find themselves in a certain situation that either scares them, frightens them, or um, worsens like like their current mental mental health overall. Yeah, certainly. And then what you mentioned that you kind of realized or you thought that maybe this wouldn't last forever. What kind of made you think that the situation you would you were in wouldn't last forever to kind of help push you to apply for residency programs? Because I'm yeah. certain there's other people listening to that might feel that way, but I want them to kind of resonate with you on that. Yeah. And I think that's a good question to ask. I felt as though like, the more that I was currently at my state current like place of work, the more I felt as though I 
wanted to kind of break the ceiling um, for better lack of words where I wanted to be able to do a lot more clinical hands-on and eventually have the goal of really just having like my own type of like my own kind of clinic where I'm able to provide chronic disease day management and not just like dispense medications on the dispensing side as well as like verifying and whatnot. Um, And so it was that. And then also the drive to be able to go into teaching. And that's where I actually had to reach out to some of my professors from my alma mater to provide me some guidance as to how to go about my potential career path. And when I had this conversation with them, they had mentioned residency, which they have brought back to the table. It was something that like, I think within one or two years after school, I didn't even really, I didn't really even think about it. Mm-hmm. Like I, I didn't even want to like have like the thought of that like happening um, yeah. at the time, just cause I was focusing on trying to support family and whatnot. But then by the time it hit like about the two to three year mark, that's where I was like, okay, time to reassess time to speak with my um, people that probably know about the field better than me and see where I can go from here. Um, I think it's really the academic um, component that I think really kind of drove me as well as also um, I wanted to also pursue board certification in psychiatry too. And that was something Mm -hmm. that um, I needed to have some type of guidance for prior to making any like next choices really. Okay. Yeah. And I I think that's a very smart choice, what you did there and something that I would recommend anybody to do. Try to reach out to your previous academic advisors or um, individuals that have some long-term experience in the field that you're interested in. So that way they can really attest to what might be the best route for you. Because I think a lot of times with with pharmacists, they they don't think outside of the box. It's it's very regimented the thought process so it's like if i don't do this now and i just start working right after school i can't go back and do a residency or i can't go back and do a fellowship mm-hmm. or i can't get some type of certification or or this career path is now done i'm now boxed into this where it's really you can create the career you want from it, from people that i've talked to you just have to talk to the right open-minded individuals and they'll t- they'll show you like hey you can do this you might have to do some extra work by doing a residency or by doing a fellowship or by getting certified or doing all these different things, you might have to put in some extra work for a year or two, but then that career that you've always desired will start to open up. And so that's something that I want anybody, everybody that's listening, whether you're a pharmacy student, um, a current resident or you, or a pharmacist, like I think it's very important for you to always think outside the box and don't think everything has to be very regimented. Like it's okay to work for a couple of years and go back and apply for a residency and you can definitely match with one as Mary has. So it's like, sometimes don't be afraid to think outside of the box to get to the situation you want to get to. Yeah, I absolutely agree. And um, just to kind of put numbers out there in perspective, I had just like not too long ago, I looked into the ASHP match statistics. There is a section um, when you go into the summary of statistics for each year towards the bottom, you actually are able to see how many pre like for this year, for example, you'd be able to see um, how, how many pre 2022 graduates were able to match um, this year. And by just doing the math, just based off the numbers, um, I think from what I remember, it was about 57% match rate for those who have been out of school for some time. 
And then yeah. this is pretty, this is pretty significant just because I think, um, when you look into like earlier years, looking into 2018, 2018 actually had about a 33% match rate for those who are pre 2018 graduates. And so between 33% back then and about 57% now, I think the trend is kind of in your favor, in my opinion. Mm -hmm. And plus, I know um, with the board exams eventually getting more difficult throughout the years, I know that with those who are going into those are who those who are in their final year right now, I know um, they're they're studying a lot in terms of um, passing like board exams, both like the law exam. I know California has like a very Challenging very interesting one, one. yeah. yeah. Yep. Um, and then also the Naplex, which has been changing quite quite a lot over time. Mm-hmm. Um, there there has been some um, some like discussion as to seeing some of the numbers, the pass rates um, kind of fluctuate, more so kind of trending downwards. And so um, a lot of programs are starting to kind of look into potentially like, you know, looking into those who may already be licensed prior. And so mm-hmm. th- this is just stuff that I have heard in speculation. But at the same time, I think just based off the statistics I'm seeing, as well as some of the um, information regarding a lot of the board exams, hearing um, recent graduates having to go through the cycle and having to like get their California Board of Pharmacy licenses. Yeah. Like that's, you know, yeah. just something to kind of consider. Yeah. I mean, it's, it puts, it puts the whole program back because their plan, the whole pharmacy department has a plan. They have a plan of a certain amount of residents, students, pharmacists that should be there. So when, when they start losing residents due to the exams, they're now at a detriment and now burnout happens, right? You're putting more stress on the current workforce that's in the pharmacy because they can't go out and go get another resident. The resident pool's already done. So I, it makes sense for them to start looking at people who are, hey, I've already done this. And I think another thing too that you didn't touch upon, which I'll, I'll say here is if you've already worked and got pharmacist money, <laughs> you're willing to take a pay cut. You must really be interested and serious about what you're about to do. So nice. I'm going to look at that as like, okay, you're serious about what you want to do. You're already licensed, so I don't have to worry about this component that you mentioned has starting to become more challenging for individuals, which have prevented people from pass from being able to stay within the residency program, which causes a burnout on the overall pharmacy department because now it's more stress on the current individuals we have. So I think it's a it's a win win for people who are still thinking about pursuing a residency. Um, I don't know if it's the same for fellowship, but I I don't see why you shouldn't go for it. So residency or fellowship, if you're thinking about that um, postgraduate. Um, learning experiences, I would say definitely pursue it. Even if you worked for a couple of years, three, four, five, I don't think it really matters. What matters is what is your interest? What do you want to do? And do you want to be happy doing what you're doing? And if that's what your focus is on, then by all means, just go for it. Absolutely agree. I know for a lot of people who are like, kind of like me, where it comes to like, you know, working for a little bit, uh, you know, thinking about like the pay cut, it's a sacrifice you have to be willing to make. Yeah. And also, you know, will the next question is, will you be, will you be happy? Will you be okay with like the change that's about to be, um, that's about to become like something that, you know, you're, you're going from like about maybe six, six figures down to like, like five now and mm-hmm. having to take like about 50% of a pay cut, something like that. Like, are you willing to take that risk, um, given the interest that you have? So big question to really consider. 
especially someone um, as someone who's coming from like a financial hardship in the past. Yeah. Yep. Definitely have to weigh your, your pros and cons. And then I know you have to go soon, so I'm going to shoot, shoot some rapid fire questions at you. <laughs> um, right. So the VA, you decided mm-hmm. to apply to it and you matched. So just real quick, why did you want to match with the San Diego VA? Uh, so with the San Diego VA, what is really nice about their program is one, I think they have a, okay, I saw that they had a pretty strong mental health um, departments that a lot of pharmacists are involved in. Mm-hmm. Two, they are very dedicated to having you get involved in teaching and working with students and also um, being able to have like a good work-life balance as well. And then three, a, a lot of the preceptors and a lot of the residents from when I talked to them, they had mentioned a lot about um, receptiveness in regards to being able to express um, like any, like any hardship or any like guidance as to how to go about a certain rotation or just certain parts of residency overall. Uh, and so I think with VA San Diego, the big thing that is super charming about um, the program is that it's they're very receptive and they're very dedicated to um, providing opportunities to learn in different areas. And so that's something that I thought was very, was very good about them. And I ranked them pretty high. Yeah. So you would say they're very well structured and they're very well organized with how they're preparing the residents um, for this residency experience. Yes, that is right. Okay. Perfect. So they they have a strong structure in place. I think they've been around for a while too. So that oh, makes yes. sense. Yeah. Um, and then they have that super dense uh, mental health component, and then also the uh, teaching component, which I know you've been you've been harping on. Like that's something that's very important to you, and that's something that you want to pursue. Yep. So you have those experiences. Can you think of anything that kind of separates the San Diego VA from other residencies, or maybe other VAs for anybody that's interested? Um, in the VAs right now. Okay. Well, I hate to say I'm biased about Southern California, <laughs> but I really like being down in San Diego. It's much prettier than where I'm at in Orange County, even though it's two hours away. <laughs> yeah. It's a beautiful city. I've been oh there. yeah, for sure. And I think with the patient population, I mean, yes, you are working with veterans, but I think you're working with both, a, you know, obviously a very good handful of like male veterans, you also have female veterans, you have patients who are part of the very old group, uh, and also those who are very young as well. Um, And so I think in terms of diversity, you have that. And I think a lot of the veteran patients that I've spoken to over the past several months, past few months is, um, is that they're also, they're very willing to listen in on how like how to go about like the next steps in treatment. Um, some of, sometimes I'll even hear about like stories as to what they were involved in during active duty. And that's something mm-hmm. that I thought was pretty rewarding to hear and just being able to get involved in like working with these patients, working with the veterans, I, I thought it was pretty rewarding overall um, thus far. Okay, perfect. Mm-hmm. And then do they have any unique electives um, compared to other programs? I know I was... I'm just going to name a few because I know I, I looked some up and I saw I saw one that I've never even heard of, which was spinal cord injury. Uh, oh, so I thought yeah, that was, that was interesting. Um, I think I also see here they have nephrology, which is pretty unique, I would say. Mm-hmm. Um, which which electives did you decide to pick up? 
Uh, yeah, so I chose, okay, so me personally, I had chosen pain as an elective, pain management. Okay. Um, it's mostly just management in regards to non, um, non-cancer pain. Okay. And I feel like, um, the best way to describe it as my preceptor at the time had, um, shared with me is like both ambulatory care and psychiatry on, on steroids, where if they had a baby, pain management would literally be, um, the elective. <laughs> It'd yeah. be the clinic. Um, that was fun. I, and I got to practice a lot more in both my AM skill, AM care skills as well as, mm-hmm. um, my mental health, um, knowledge because a lot of SNRIs, they overlap in both like the psychiatric and pain management standpoint. Um, So I was with arthritis and different things like that. Yeah. Yep. Um, And then I also have academia towards the end of the year. Um, What's also something that I thought was pretty interesting that I think um, most other programs may not really have is it's called um, academic detailing. I don't have this, but I know a couple other residents that um, we'll have this very soon. It involves having to create like handouts that like either, either handouts or informational guides for different mm-hmm. audiences. So okay. like thinking of like pamphlet, think of like health pamphlets or, and any like, um, resources, quick guides, um, pocket guides for providers and then also providing like patient information in pretty like, pretty like creative and also informative, um, modalities a lot of times it's just some things that are easy to just kind of pass as you have clinics uh you know have patients come into the clinics you just provide them like these little mini booklets or um little handouts for them to be able to kind of read more into and so academic detailing is i think something pretty unique here at the va that um that most other programs outside the va probably won't have yeah i've I've never heard of that but i think that's that's great because it's I've I've well I guess I'm gonna say it now uh, I was gonna say I've I've had thoughts and ideas of having like some type of like infographic rotation I would love to be able to create one or it's like one kind of like through the podcast where we can go over like learning and like disease state topics but also how to create like infographics or patient related content because Google is not the answer <laughs> and that's where they keep going and now if it's not Google it's TikTok and TikTok may not be the best place to go either so. <laughs> Definitely want to provide like your, you know, your own personal handouts or personal information to the patients that you're caring for. So that way they can just get it direct from the providers that are taking care of them. Um, so that way they know it's trustworthy, it's accurate, and they don't have to go to Google or talk to a friend and their friend says, Oh, I heard you're supposed to do this. And it's completely wrong. So <laughs> to help avoid all that, um, I think it's super cool. Academic detailing is a, is a rotation option and one where you really get to build, um, those soft skills. So, so written and communication and making sure your audience is able to interpret the content that you're putting on there and making it very concise too, because you don't want to make it too lengthy because it may not read through everything that you provide them. Oh yeah, definitely. And also using your clinical skills too, because that's the yep. information you're providing. That's the content. Yep. 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 And that, that might be the future. That might be the new way of counseling. If things keep going virtual, it's going to go from handouts in my opinion to like little videos you send on an iPad or something like that. So you want to make sure it's as concise as possible and has all the relevant details. So that way um, your patients can definitely use it. So I love it. I love it. Sounds like an awesome rotation. <laughs> and then, so definitely some unique rotations, academic detailing, um, spinal cord injury, you mentioned the pain management. Um, so they have some unique opportunities there. Now, I'm sure you've been asked this, but 
with every residency component, everybody wants to know about the staffing. <laughs> <laughs> staffing? Oh, yes. 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 I can so talk about please, that. Please tell us. Yes. Yes, yes. Um, so when it comes to the staffing component here at VA San Diego, really depends on which, um, which rotation you're on. For the mm-hmm. most part, you don't really staff on the weekends at all. Um, unless if you choose to do like a moonlighting internally here where you may be working in the outpatient pharmacy or working as an inpatient pharmacist. Um, so that's really based off of any of the residents as to whether or not they want to do that. Um, I'm, I'm one of those who's not doing that. Um, mm-hmm. But um, other staffing requirements aside, I mean, you we have the required medicine rotation, which is about eight to 10 weeks. And that's about, I think, two or three weekends out of the rotation where you have to work on the weekend. And then um, I think for other, like, it's mostly inpatients that has like, staffing that's kind of built in Um, Mm -hmm. again it's really about probably no more than two to three weekends depending on whether or not you're in those rotations so um, critical care being one as well Um, cardiology I'm not too sure but from what I'm aware I think it's really just doing um, weekdays Amcare, there is actually a bit of staffing involved except it's all built into your uh, work week schedule so it's usually about three half day so 1.5 days of staffing in the outpatient pharmacy and then the rest of the week is all your clinics Um, and yeah so a lot of times the staffing is kind of built into the schedule Um, again inpatient is some is something again you will have to work like different hours for the most part but at least you won't be working graveyard shifts (laughs) So okay. that's something that I do want to reassure everybody. Um, but, but that's so where it's the usually work just, just within the work week. So it's not yeah, really for like the most m- part. more on the weekends. Okay. Yeah. And then what's cool is that um, I know, like for me, for emergency department, which is the rotation that I'm in right now. Um, yes, there is a staffing component. It's usually the last two Saturdays of the block. Um, what's cool is that even though I have those days that I have to work, I actually get compensated a day back. They you try to stick to having a five day, five days a week type of um, work schedule for you not exceeding any more than that. And so I think I got like Wednesday off that week that I'm talking about. I, I forgot which week it was, but yeah. I am working a Saturday sometime soon, but um, that means, but from what I remember, I think Wednesday I, I have off. So they're trying to retain the five day work week, basically. That's what I'm trying to say. Mm -hmm. That that sounds very ideal. Uh, Mm -hmm. if I could go back to residency, I would, (laughs) (laughs) I would apply to this program for sure. Um, sounds like an ideal scenario and you have such a, such a vast amount of opportunities to learn in with all those different types of clinics and electives. Um, like I mentioned before, some of them that I've never, never seen before, like spinal cord injury. I don't think I've seen a nephrology, um, I don't believe I've also heard of or seen academic detailing when I was looking for residencies. I applied to 10 different ones, probably looked at 30 different programs and I don't remember seeing some of those. So I think that's pretty cool and unique. And they have all of the, the basic, um, ones as well. So, you know, ambulatory care, internal med, um, some admin opportunities, cardiology, crit care. So it seems like they're very diverse. They have a lot of opportunities. Um, sounds like a great program trying to keep you to a, to a 40 hour, um, work week type of thing, five days you're, you're really working on. So you're not staffing too much, um, mm-hmm. to overload or, or burn you out. Um, so it sounds like an ideal situation. It sounds great. And so if for anybody who's listening, 
um, because I know you got to go. So for for everybody who's listening and they're still kind of hesitant about either applying to the San Diego VA or applying to residency, um, what advice do you have for them to kind of push them to um, pursue the best career for them? So they're thinking like, oh, I want to do this, but maybe they have some doubts. Maybe they're thinking, oh, I don't know if they'll they'll accept me. I've been out of school for a year or two. Maybe my clinical knowledge isn't the strongest as it was when I just left school and, and rotations. You know, what kind of advice do you have for those individuals? Okay, yeah, um, I think very good question. I have two in mind. One being that, you know, for, depending on your career path, there's always going to be different ways to get to um, where you want to get to. And so biggest thing, and this is something I also share with students as well, is residency is not the end all be all. And if like, but that's the thing that I feel like a lot of um, some of the schools, especially the more competitive ones, kind of, um, kind of like, I guess, like share. And that's mm-hmm. something that I think um, is something that should really like be like not on like not on your mind like when it comes to like residency that is one pathway to get to where you want um however i have heard and i've had like past classmates get to where they are without residency um and so that's something that they had been like very happy about and they're still making like you know the pharmacist pay and whatnot Mm -hmm. just also i guess this kind of ties in with my second piece of advice is really trying to Keep connected with your mentors. Um, make sure to keep mm. good networks. I feel as though I think during the past three years, I thought um, over time my network has expanded. I feel as though like I like I feel as though when it comes to talking with a lot of like California like f- schools of pharmacy that I at least know like at least a couple people that I'd be able to kind of talk to at least, mm-hmm. um, and just being able to see them through my like past involvements and just being able to catch up with them and let them know like, Hey, this is what's going on. Um, they'd be happy to help. And so that's just something to really keep in mind, keeping connections with um, past mentors, preceptors, and then other, um, other people that you also like meet as well throughout the way. Um, pharmacy is a small world. Yes. So that's something that I feel as though over the past three years I've utilized to definitely, um, get the guidance that I need to get to the path that I would want to pursue. Mm -hmm. Yeah, definitely. Thank you so much. That's great advice. Um, That's something I probably need to do. I haven't reached out to my mentors in a while, but definitely great advice. Um, Thank you so much for your time. I know you're extremely busy. I know you got to get to work. So I just want to say thank you again for being able to squeeze this in with us. Um, We appreciate it, Mary. Um, If there's anybody listening that would love to reach out to you and kind of get in contact with you, um, what's the best way for them to do that? LinkedIn, yeah, sure. email. Yeah. So yeah, li- yeah, LinkedIn and email. So LinkedIn, you can just find me, um, Maringo, PharmD, BCM, TMS. And then also, um, also my email, you can reach out to me at mary.no number two at va.gov. Okay. Perfect. So I'll include those in the show notes. So everybody that's listening that wants to reach out, feel free to. Um, just one, one last thing real quick. Just want to say, I believe the application deadline for the San Diego VA um, PGY-1 program is January 1st at mm-hmm. 11.59 p.m. So keep that in mind. Um, I'm going to try to get the, this episode um, released soon. Today's day's November 30th. But keep that in mind if you're interested in applying. Um, kind of got to move quickly. Got to get those letter of recommendations in. 
and everything into forecasts. Uh, let me just look real quick to see their application requirements. Um, I think I saw it here. So three letters of recommendations um, through forecasts. Um, they want your CV, letter of intent, and um, verify transcripts, which should obviously be sent to forecast as well. And so basically just fill out the forecast <laughs> and set a letter, letter of intent. Um, that's basically it. it doesn't seem like it's anything extra i know some places had extra requirements but this one's a basic three letter of recommendations a cv a uh, letter of intent and make sure to get those transcripts in um so that way they can verify that um you're in good standing with the college of pharmacy yes and uh, yeah and there's nothing really special else aside from just those three things and also everything else is kind of listed in our brochure that you can check out on our pbm website um but yeah i mean really just being clear, transparent in regards to what your what your interests are, I think mm-hmm. the more that you have a lot of like mentors and others re- like revise and look over and provide you feedback on, um, the stronger I think uh, of a candidate you are going into the cycle. Definitely. And one last thing that I forgot to mention, which actually prevented me from applying to a lot of VAs when I was um, in my fourth year of pharmacy school is that with the VAs, you don't have to be licensed in that state. You just need a state license because it's federal law. So you'll be practicing on a federal yes. law, but you just need one state's license. So I didn't apply to any VAs out of state because I thought I would have had to get that state license, but I was wrong. I could have just got the Florida license and still be able to um, work at the VA in Atlanta or the VA um, in San Diego or a VA in Texas, for example. So all you need is one state's law for you to be able to work in the VA. So if that's something you're interested in, yes, huge, huge perk. So if that's something you're interested, um, so don't let that deter you. Sorry. Cause that with other, other non, um, VA programs, you'll have to make sure to get that past the state board, um, in order to, to be licensed in that state. But with the VA, you don't have to, you just need one state's, um, license. So that's something that's, that's a huge, huge perk, huge pro. So if you thinking about going to San Diego for a little bit, you can go there f- for a year, maybe two, if you want to do a PGY2 there, and then maybe you come back to Florida and work in Florida um, if you have that state license already because you decided to do the Florida route. So that's just an example. Um, if you want more information, you can reach out to me or you can reach out to Mary. I'll include her email and LinkedIn in the show notes. Uh, thank you so much, Mary. Uh, I know you got to go. <laughs> so I want to make sure no you, you get to it. You got you to take care of our veterans. So I uh, don't want right. to keep you too long. So thank you so much. I appreciate it. Yeah, no problem. Thank you so much for inviting me on. 